before we dive in, just want to say thank you so much for praying for our family this week. Uh, in case you don't know, our youngest son, Max, had a pretty significant seizure on uh, Monday morning, and we gave him his special medicine that's supposed to make the seizure stop. Didn't work. And so we called 911. The EMTs came out to the house. They couldn't make the seizure stop either. And uh, so we started our Monday with a, a trip to the ER, always a good way to start the week, you know. And, uh, and Max was still there, still having seizures, and they couldn't really make a lot of progress on him there. So they decided to fly him over to uh, Seattle Children's Hospital. His normal neurologist there could, could treat him. Uh, I think we got a picture of him on this first helicopter ride, which he doesn't remember any about. But... Uh, Finally, they were able to get him stabilized there in Seattle. And, you know, anytime there's like a team of neurologists meeting to talk about your kid, that's both a really, really good thing and a really, really bad thing at the same time. But they, uh, they got him sorted out. They got a new treatment plan. And so we're working on that and see what God does there. But, uh, yeah, thanks for praying. An exhausting kind of emotional couple of days for us. But, uh, you know, throughout the, the time, God really showed up in some interesting ways and uh, one way, just very encouraging texts and messages from many of you, so thank you for that. That's a real encouragement from the Lord. And another way God showed up was just through his word. Uh, you know, every morning I read the Bible, I'm sure many of you do as well, and uh, I read a plan, so I use my, my Bible app on my phone so I can keep up with the plan. And when you open the Bible app, you know, it, it always opens with this verse of the day, some kind of encouraging verse. And honestly, I usually just skip right past it and, and go to my plan. But this particular Monday, when, when the day turned south so quickly, my daughter, my oldest daughter, Hannah, she's off at college, and she texted a picture of that day's verse of the day. And Isaiah chapter 40 has always been kind of a special chapter for our family. And uh, sure enough, that was the verse of the day. It said, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power for the weak. Uh, that was the, the words we needed to hear that day. Maybe you need to hear those too. But uh, made all the more precious, really, by the fact that my own daughter was the one uh, sending me the text. So I guess I didn't screw up too much on, on at least one of my kids. So that's good. Uh, one other way I want to share with you how God showed up. Just, uh, you know, sitting in a hospital, uh, it could be lonely. It could be tough. Uh, I've done it enough as a person as a pastor, as a friend, and uh, it, it's easy to kind of just get in your head and let fear and, and worry and those kinds of things take over. But, uh, uh, you know, I was sitting by myself one moment just sort of reflecting and, and praying, and I noticed there was a bookshelf on the other side of the room. It's a children's hospital, so it's full of children's books. And there was one particular children's book that caught my attention. Uh, take a look at this. This book was in the hospital uh, on, the, on the shelf there, and, I th- and maybe it was just the stress. It just made me laugh. I thought, somebody's got kind of a sick sense of humor, putting that in the Seattle hospital, you know, for little kids. I thought, it's too soon, too soon, you know? But hey, go Cowboys. That's all I got to say about that. We are partway through a series called Viral, and uh, we call it Viral not because it's going to make you sick, but because uh, the, the message of the gospel should be so appealing, so inviting, that you want to share it with your friends. Like a, a viral video, you want to be excited to pass it on and share it. And yet too often we think about evangelism as just a, 
a chore, a duty, something that, that we, we should do, but we just never get around to it, or we're too afraid, or we're too busy, we just lack the right kind of tools. And one of the goals in this series is, is to help us, even those of us who are not gifted evangelists, to, to, to learn how to live in a way that, that draws others in, to question our lives. In the first week of our series, we said that, that gifted evangelists, people that the Holy Spirit has specifically gifted in this way, they should be bold, sharing their faith at every opportunity. And the rest of us, we may not be gifted in that way, but, but we should pray for those people, pray that they would be bold and that they would have opportunities. And, and there's another important thing we should all be doing. We should all be leading questionable lives, meaning we should be living in a way that sparks people's curiosity, curiosity amongst those who don't yet know Christ. We should be living in a way that makes people curious to know more about Jesus. And one of the easiest ways we can do that is, is being a blessing to people. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we challenged ourselves to be a blessing uh, each week of this series to three different people, a person who's from our church, a person who's not from the church, and the third person you get to decide either category. But that's just one easy way we can lead questionable lives. Uh, If you were here last week, we talked about this, the simple act of eating and drinking, of of shared meals with people. That can open the door to conversations, conversations about faith. And that's an easy way to be a blessing to people, just to share a meal with them. And as we continue uh, this morning in the series, we're going to talk about what to say in these conversations. When people ask questions, what do we actually say? Or maybe a more important way to think about it is what do we not say? And you may not believe this, but uh, this, this moment, this kind of a moment actually happened to my wife this week in the hospital. She was there, of course, with our son Max and uh, talking to one of the doctors. And this doctor, a young guy, he said, hey, uh, this is my last day on this rotation. Uh, tomorrow I start a whole new residency. But uh, I just got to say, I, I think it's really awesome wh- what you're doing. You know, you, you had made this decision to adopt this little boy. I, I think that's really great. And he said, uh, and I think it's really awesome, too, that you would just would go to an entirely different country, a whole different culture, and, and kind of introduce that into your family and, and bring this kid into your family. That's, that's really something. And he said, but I don't understand why you would choose a child who you know has these, these medical risks, but you, but you, you chose to, to take them on anyway. I, I don't understand what would make you do that. So this is one of those moments, you know. My wife had drawn the question from this young doctor, and it highlights a real tension in trying to be viral and trying to share the gospel with people. Because it's one thing to be questionable, to live in a way as to draw people's questions. It's one thing to be bold. But if we don't have the right words to say when these opportunities come, then it's all in vain. So if we're going to spend our time eating with people, living our lives in a way that sparks questions, we've got to be ready with answers. One of the passages we've already looked at in this series is from 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So that's the moment my wife found herself in, the moment that hopefully all of us find ourselves in, being questioned. So what answer do we give? I'm sure you've heard the joke about the pastor who was teaching children, and he asks the children, what's the name of the little creature that lives in trees? No answer. It eats nuts. Still no answer. It's gray, has a long, bushy tail, 
jumps from branch to branch. Well, finally, some little boy kind of tentatively raises his hand, and the pastor's kind of relieved and calls on the boy. The boy says, well, it sounds an awful lot like a squirrel, but I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus. <laughs> yeah. It's a silly joke, of course, because in Sunday school, the answer is always Jesus, Right? But as silly as it is, when it comes to us talking to our friends, when it comes to answering questions, the answer actually is always Jesus. Anytime you're in church, like that's the answer. The answer is always Jesus. You go home today, somebody says, hey, what did you talk about in church today? Jesus. What was the sermon about? Jesus. You know, the answer is always Jesus. Well, so often we just want to complicate things, and that's a trap. In fact, there's a number of traps that that we fall into, that keep us from really focusing on Jesus when we have these moments of questioning. And I want us to understand these traps because there's really one simple way to avoid them all. We've got to remember that the answer is always Jesus. So the first trap is one that needs a little bit of explanation. When we're talking to people, trying to share with them, trying to answer these questions, it's really easy to fall into a trap of, of preaching the gospel. Uh, and, and so the first thing we want to focus on is simply this. Focus on Jesus, not preaching the gospel. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, to understand what I mean, I want us to look at the Apostle Paul. He, he was constantly preaching the gospel, right? I mean, he went around town to town, place to place, sharing the gospel. But if you peel back the layers just a little bit, I think we'll find that his message was always all about Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. I want to show us a couple of places where Paul had a chance to preach the gospel, but really he focuses on Jesus. So let's look at a couple of those places. First, uh, 2 Timothy 2.8. I'll show it on the screen here. Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, he says. So here's Paul. At the end of his life, he's looking back, and specifically he says, this is the gospel, the message I spent my whole life preaching. But, but notice what the content of the message is. The answer is Jesus. It's always Jesus. That's what Paul says. That's all he talks about here. You know, we said uh, several times over the past few weeks that the, the content of the gospel it can really be boiled down into just two simple parts, who Jesus is and what he did. We see that right here exactly. Jesus' identity as a king in the line of David and Jesus' actions being raised from the dead after he died for our sins. That's the gospel. The answer is always Jesus. Let's look at another passage. Here's another chance Paul has to preach the gospel. In this case, he's, he's writing to people that he hasn't met yet. And so it's kind of an introduction to who he is. He starts off saying this, Romans 1.1, take a look. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So, so this is how he introduces himself. He's, he's set apart for the gospel. So you would expect with that as the intro, he's, he's about to preach the gospel. I mean, he, he doesn't know these people. He wants to make sure they understand the gospel, the gospel he's given his whole life to. But let's look at the content of his gospel message. The next couple of verses say this. Uh, he's talking about the gospel of God regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So again, here's Paul. He's got this golden opportunity to, to preach the gospel. And what does he do? The answer is always Jesus. He puts the focus on Jesus. One more example. It comes from the book of Acts. And this is uh, Acts chapter 13. 
Paul has an extended gospel presentation. He goes into a synagogue and he's asked to to speak to that congregation. I mean, if ever there was a chance to preach the gospel, this is it. They hand Paul the microphone, a room full of people who've never heard the gospel before. This is like every preacher's dream, right? And so he goes to town. He preaches this whole sermon. And it's, uh, I'm not going to read it to you because it's long. I think it's the longest sermon uh, by Paul that we have in the Bible. But I just want to point out a couple of things about this passage. He he spends the first few verses just discussing their, their shared history that they have, the history of God's people, the Jews, just building some common ground with them. And then he launches into Jesus. He spends the next 16 verses talking about Jesus. He talks about how Jesus is the, uh, the heir to the eternal throne promised to King David, how Jesus is the embodiment of the kingdom of God. He, he talks about how Jesus' death atones for sins, and he talks about Jesus as the risen Lord. Uh, the answer is always Jesus, who he is and what he's done. In your worship folder, you'll see a document we put together that looks just like this, and it shows just some simple ways that you and I can share the gospel message with people. And these are all super simple. They're, they're designed for you to be able to remember them easily, to you just sketch them on the back of a napkin or something like that, just easy to transfer from one person to another. And so when these opportunities come up, this is a tool that you can use. And, and these are all great, simple ways to share the gospel. But the focus on all of these is all about Jesus. And so even if you can't remember any of these things, you know, the answer is always Jesus. Just remember that. You don't have to fall into the trap of, of preaching the gospel. You only need to share who Jesus is, his, his identity, and, and what he's done, uh, died and rose from the dead. And when you can do that, you take the pressure off of yourself. You, you put, all, put Jesus at the center and let him do all the hard work. You just have to, to introduce Jesus and, and then let him take it from there. And you may think, well, that, that seems too easy. Good. It, it's not complicated. It shouldn't have to be. But just in case you need one more layer of, of information to work with, then, then here's a question that I think about sometimes, and, and maybe this will help you. But when you, when you meet a person and you're interacting with a person, just think to yourself, okay, how specifically does Jesus intersect with this person's life? Is there some, some way that I can see to kind of introduce Jesus into this person's life in a meaningful way? Just, that's a, a simple way to think about things, you know? So focusing on Jesus instead of preaching the gospel, that's really how the gospel is best presented. That's what Paul shared throughout his ministry. The answer is always Jesus. So one of the traps we get caught up in is is trying to preach the gospel instead of focusing on Jesus. But there's other traps we fall into. And the second trap that we need to avoid, it's a little bit stickier. The second trap is where our our culture, our our Christian culture, has kind of made a mess of some things in some ways over the years. And and you notice in these passages that we've looked at, that, that these times that Paul shares the gospel, he doesn't tell people that they're sinners. That's not an element in these passages. The common element is Jesus, who he is what he's done. And the answer always is Jesus. But we, we, we've messed things up sometimes. We want to focus on people's sin. And we miss the fact that the answer is always Jesus. So the, the second trap to avoid is don't focus on sin, focus on Jesus. When people ask us questions, when people engage us, keep the focus on Jesus. When people ask us, why do we live the way we do? It's because of what Jesus has done for us. 
you know, all too often we want to put the focus on sin, and that, that's just challenging, it's confusing, and we can maybe get worked up about another person's sin or about big sins that are celebrated in our culture, but we've got to remember the answer is always Jesus. I mean, uh, focus on Jesus, not on sin, because Jesus is the only one who did anything about sin. You know, focusing on sin is a trap because the Holy Spirit is the one who has the role of convicting people of sin. It's his job. It's not our job. And Jesus himself taught this. He was giving his disciples some final instructions before he's arrested. And he taught them all about the Holy Spirit, what the purpose of the Holy Spirit would be when he comes in the world. And Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll convict the world of sin, uh, uh, of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So it's his job to convict. It's not ours. He convicts the world. You know, what's the, one of the biggest criticisms of Christianity is that we're all a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. What's, you know, because I think we sometimes fall into this trap of focusing on sin. Uh, and, you know, we see other people's sins and people think, well, you got all your own stuff. Why are you talking to me about it? All that kind of thing. It's an easy trap to fall into, though, because it's easy for us to focus on sin. It's, it's, it's tempting to do it because we could see it so clearly. You know, it's easy to see other people's sin. Uh, it's just the way it is. Uh, and if you're a person who has a relationship with Jesus, then you've got the Holy Spirit in you. You've got an ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so, so God is at work in your life, changing you, convicting you of your own sin. And so you see the same kinds of things pop up in another person's life, and you're like, oh, I recognize that. Oh, I've been down that road. You can see them so clearly. And you want to help that person. So you try to point those things out, maybe. But that's not our job. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict other people of sin. Our job is to keep our focus on Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. Author David Bosch says this. He says, The mission of God's people is to alert others to the universal reign of God. Not alert others to their sin or how they're a terrible person or any of the other things we're tempted to do because those are distractions from the real focus. Our mission is to alert others to Jesus. Even in this, this passage from Acts 13, this, this really long sermon that, that Paul shares the gospel, he barely mentions sin. He tells the story of Jesus from verse uh, 16 all the way down to verse 37. And then he says this, verse 38, he says, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That's it. That's all he says about sin. He doesn't say anything else uh, in all the other passages that we looked at. And so, so 20 verses of this sermon, he focuses on Jesus. And then when he does mention sin, it's still with a focus on Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. I was talking to a guy at Trinity uh, here at Trinity the other week, and uh, he works in a very secular field, and he's finding himself in these kind of very secular discussions all about how to fix this problem in the world or fix that problem, and he wants to be able to really represent Christ well in these conversations, helping people realize, you know, there is a solution to that problem and this problem and this problem. The answer is Jesus, you know? And uh, we were talking, and it, it's tempting to focus on sin, but he knows that's a trap. He doesn't want to come across as judgmental and, and then lose his chance to dialogue with people. He knows that's not going to be helpful to anybody. And, you know, it, when we focus on sin, it just turns people away from Jesus. But the answer is always Jesus. He's the solution to these problems. Just like Paul says at the end of his sermon, through Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. We've got to keep our focus on that, not getting distracted by sin, but keep the focus on Jesus. 
Imagine that you lived in the 17th century. You had to flee your home country to the new world because of religious persecution. You know? well, not only would you be homesick, but you'd be nervous about this new world you're traveling to. You don't know anything about it, but you know it's going to have to become home for you. Well, it doesn't help your anxiety at all when you hear about uh, these rumors of, of savage people that inhabit this land that, that you're headed to, right? Well, that's the situation of the pilgrims who landed at, at Plymouth in the early 1600s. They were very uh, fearful of what they didn't know. One of their first courses of action after they found food and made their shelters is, is they built a fort to protect them from these savages they'd heard all about. Well, one day, sure enough, they see a Native American approaching their encampment. And their gut reaction was to, to load the guns and get ready to fire. And just before they pull the trigger, they're surprised by what comes out of this warrior's mouth. He says, hello, Englishman. Because of some previous explorers, some of the Native Americans had learned how to speak English. And this particular Native American was Samoset, the man who introduced them to, to Squanto, uh, to, to the pilgrims. And Squanto had been enslaved in England himself for many years. He learned English there. And Squanto became a huge asset to the pilgrims because he could communicate with them. He could teach them what they needed to survive uh, and make it through that first winter. And he could teach them in a way that they could understand. He didn't try to change their culture, change their language, so that they would speak on his terms. He spoke and interacted with them on their own terms. I mean, if Squanto had said, hey, before I teach you how to survive, you're going to have to learn to speak my language, uh, they would have all starved to death, right? Oftentimes, people who don't know Jesus, they're, they're turned away from the whole thing because of the stubbornness of Christians who want to change a person before they introduce him to Jesus. I mean, if... Is there somebody you want to bring to church, but you're waiting for them to kind of clean up their act, stop cussing like a sailor before you bring them in here, you know? Or your, your brother-in-law, he doesn't have to stop abusing alcohol before he finds his way into the church. Your atheist co-worker doesn't need to be converted before you just have him over for dinner. If we've got to change people before Christ can work and change in their lives, then we've got the whole gospel backwards. So focusing on sin, it's not just a little dangerous, it's deadly to people. It drives a wedge between well-meaning Christians and, and non-believers. The answer has to be always Jesus. Keep the focus on Jesus, not on sin. One more trap that we need to be on the lookout for. A third thing it's pretty easy to get distracted about. And, and just like these other two things, it really comes from a, a place of well-meaning, a place of good intentions, but you know what they say about good intentions, right? Uh, for many years now, there's been this emphasis in churches on attracting non-believers. That's a good thing, a good emphasis. I mean, here at Trinity, we work hard to try to make Trinity a place where people can uh, feel welcome and feel safe. We try to create really warm and friendly environments. We try to have preaching and music that's really accessible to people, all kinds of people. Uh, we create high-quality events and high-quality invitations, so you're not afraid to, to bring your friends to things. All that's good, good intentions. But the problem comes, the trap comes when this attractional church idea takes the place of Jesus. Because remember, the answer is always Jesus. This third trap comes when we focus on church instead of on Jesus. And now remember, I'm a pastor. My whole livelihood depends on people coming to church. So it's really in my best interest to promote church over and over again. Let me help you understand what I mean. It's great. It's great that we love our church. I'd even say it's necessary. 
It's great that you think the pastor is both handsome and funny. That's a winning combination. But when we're talking about being viral, when we're talking about living questionable lives, when we're talking about uh, introducing people to Jesus, we've got to realize that, that church, that getting a person to church is not the end goal. A relationship with Jesus is what we want. The answer is always Jesus. When people ask us questions, we've got to be ready with the answer, not just, hey, yeah, you should come to church with me. You know, too often we just fall into the trap of wanting to talk about our church, how much we love it, it's got great stuff for kids and youth, and all that's true, but that's not the end goal. The, 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 uh, the heart of the gospel is God's action, not his institution, right? Another way this trap uh, shows up, kind of rears its ugly, distracting head, is when people want to point out flaws about the church, want to get into kind of like a debate. Well, what, what about the crusades, or what about all the terrible things that priests are doing, and, and we feel this need to maybe try to defend the church. Well, my church doesn't do any of that stuff, or, or we feel this need to distance ourselves from that. Hey, well, I don't like that any more than you do, right? But, but it's all a trap. We've got to remember the answer is always Jesus. Just, we don't have to take on the responsibility of defending Christianity or promoting church programs or whatever. We could just talk about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. Uh, I mentioned already the, the tools we got in your worship folder, and on the back side of that is, uh, is some other tools. Uh, you know, we talked about these, these ways to share the gospel, but I want us to notice on the back side, there's this space that says your story, and there's some blanks there to just help you craft your story, the story of what Jesus has done for you. And I want us to notice a couple of things. First of all, there's not very much space there, and that's on purpose. You know, you want to keep your story brief. Brief is, is, is better. And you could see some other advice about how to kind of craft your story right there. But uh, just uh, one of the things I want to highlight, especially in relation to what we're talking about this morning, is just keep your story focused on Jesus. Don't fall into these traps, because the answer is always Jesus. So as you're sharing with people, you've got a chance to really highlight Jesus in your own life and let Jesus do the heavy lifting, so to speak. So there's a lot of things that, uh, different things you could take away from this message. I mean, you can be mindful of these different traps. Maybe one of them is more, uh, resonates with you more than the others, whatever. You could practice crafting your story, the story of what Jesus has done in your life. And, and you could practice these simple ways to share the truth about Jesus, share that gospel message, who Jesus is and what he's done. But there's really one thing that kind of sits behind all these things. Because if we're not living like Jesus, if we're not aligning ourselves around Jesus' message and Jesus' priorities, then really nothing else is going to make that much of a difference. We've got to be living in a way that makes other people take notice, that makes those questions come. That's got to be first and foremost in our lives. In order to do that, we've got to really know Jesus. Not just know about him, not just come to church and hear about him, but we've got to really know Jesus. Not just think about the problems in the world and what Jesus might do, but we've got to be marinated in Jesus. So spend time reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know. Uh, Paul mentioned a couple of compelling passages this morning. Was it Luke 7 and John 10? Start there, you know. Just marinate yourself in Jesus. 
Uh, I read recently about a pastor who, as a young person, he was a college student, he really wanted his ministry to be just founded in God's word. And so he made a commitment that he was going to read the Bible faithfully every day. And, but he didn't just want knowledge. He wanted to really know Jesus. And so he decided he was going to take a book of the Bible every day and read it, read the whole thing every day for a month. The whole month, reading the whole book. And at the end of the month, he would really know the content of that book, really understand what it reveals about Jesus. And now this pastor is now like almost 80, one of the most well-respected Bible teachers in the world today. So, so take a lesson from that. That's a challenge for us. Start with some of these passages. Start with the Gospel of John. Read it. Get to know Jesus intimately. Read it again and read it again and again. Just immerse yourself in Jesus. And from that, your life begins to reflect the God who really wants to shine through each and every one of us. In the book Surprise the World, Michael Frost tells a story about meeting a group of hardcore surfers, surfing enthusiasts. And he asks them, well, who's your favorite surfer of all time? And they, unanimously they said, oh, it's, it's this guy from Florida, Kelly Slater. Uh, he's been crowned the world surfing champion a record of 11 times, uh, including five consecutive times from 1994 to 1998. He's both the youngest at age 20 and the oldest at age 39 to win this title, so quite an accomplished surfer. And so Michael asks these guys, hey, well, tell, me, tell me more about Kelly Slater, and they go crazy. They're telling him all kinds of things about his life, where he grew up, Cocoa Beach, Florida, uh, what kind of boards he uses, Channel Island surfboards, uh, what years he's won the title, way too many to mention, uh, what movies and TV shows he's been in, uh, in, and again, too many to mention, what models and movie stars he's dated, too many to mention. On and on and on they go. Well, if someone was to ask us, hey, tell me about Jesus, what do you know about Jesus, what would we be able to say? We've got to be marinated in Jesus. When we live questionable lives, people see our behavior and they ask us about our motivations. We should be able to speak about Jesus the way surfers would speak about Kelly Slater, with this energy, with enthusiasm, with reverence and awe, with delight and wonder. Let's keep our focus on Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we know that uh, the answer is always Jesus. You sent your son to uh, be the solution to every problem in the world, and that starts primarily with us, with our own hearts. We know ourselves well enough to know how much we need Jesus, what he's done for us, how we are incapable of doing for ourselves what he did on our behalf. And we want to be living in a way that really reflects the gratitude that we have for the grace that you've given us through your son, Jesus. Lord, we want to be focused on him. And as we go about our week, as we go about uh, our, our daily routines, Lord, we want to be uh, your salt and your light in the world. We pray that you would give us uh, motivation to really dive deeper into our relationship with Jesus so we can reflect you accurately. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.